Well, good morning. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. I was going to ask you if we could step forward and come up here, but that's okay. I'm not going to make you get up out of your seats and uh, come forward this morning. My subject matter is to uh, just take a look at uh, the book of Acts and the beginnings of the church. It's always been intriguing to me every time I have... uh, study the the uh, passages of scripture, to look at the genesis of the church and how it all started. I grew up, of course, in the assembly setting, you know, all my life, being exposed to that, and uh, I really never thought about it uh, too much, about how things started, until I came, uh, in 1977, came to Northwestern College in uh, Minneapolis, and, uh, you know, you're required to have a year of, uh, uh, of uh, Bible study. And uh, one of my professors was uh, Dr. Uh, Paul Eng. Dr. Paul Eng has written uh, a, a couple of books about the book of Acts. And he started talking about the exciting time of the book of Acts, how things changed radically, okay? And that's, that all of a sudden opened my eyes to, wow, Something dramatically, dramatically different happened here at that time. So I hope when you read the book of Acts, you get that same sense of it. You know, we, we come to church, do routines, but this was not a routine event there at that time, okay? So something exciting happened. So together as a community of believers here, let's try to explore that. And I'm going to read a couple of passages first from the book of Acts, okay, and uh, then we'll uh, launch into that. So if you would uh, indulge me by turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and reading from verse 6, Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 6, it says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, Judge Jesus, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? Uh, I'm reading, by the way, from the New uh, Living Translation, uh, so... uh, it may sound a little bit different from what you are used to. And now turn to the same chapter, verse 15. It says, During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place. So at this point, there are 120 believers. Okay? Now follow along in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house there where they were sitting. Then they looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At this time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noises, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. 
They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, uh, uh, Figra, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the other areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 12 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is, is much too early to, for that. No, what you see here was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Now skip down to verse 36. So in the meantime, uh, Peter is speaking to the crowd, okay? So he says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words, words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sin and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Then you will receive this, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed that uh, what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 120, 3,000. All the believers form a community there now. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Now, one more passage of scripture, and that is in chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and give their money to the apostles to give to the need. For instance, there was Joseph, 
the one the apostle nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We can gather here together to look at your word and to see the genesis of the church uh, there in Jerusalem at that time. Father, uh, it's an exciting time for them. And Father, we uh, pray, Father, that you would uh, bring that excitement to us too so that we learn from these passages of scripture so that we can be living Christians for you. We ask for your blessing on us this day as we look at these passages and discuss things together. For you ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So based on the few passages we read, what do you think just happened? Miracles. Okay. Miracles. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the the Holy Spirit there. Formation of the church. Yes. The formation of the church. You have the infancy of the church. Until it was, you know, it was a Jewish group gathering together. Okay. And you see the infancy of the church there. Okay? Willingness to submit to the Holy Spirit, but also to the apostles. Okay. The, 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 the work of the apostles. Okay? So, you know, remember, I mean, they were hiding for a while. And uh, they, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they begin speaking. And things happen. So, they were powerless before, now all of a sudden, they have power. Okay? All of a sudden. Now, the people there in Jerusalem, hearing what there was being said, saw something different in these apostles. They saw something totally different compared to the Jewish rabbis and teachers of the law. There was something different about that. Correct? They saw God's power at work. They saw God's power at work. They realized also these discourses, what they were talking about, was not coming from them. It was coming from some supernatural power. They grasped that. Okay, they could see that. But more important than that is the fact that you have to realize these people came to Jerusalem, or many of them even lived in Jerusalem, and they, many of those who came there, they came there for a feast. The feast was to commemorate the giving of the law of Moses. That's why, the, that's why they were there. There were people from how many different nations there? Did you count? 15 or 16 different nations there. Okay? Now, they were all Jews. So 15 or 16 nations. And they hear their language from where they are being spoken. That's a miracle, right? It's a miracle. They hear their language being spoken. And not only that, they see some power in that speaking that's happening there. Something's happening. So it is certainly a supernatural event. These people who were there were there for a very specific purpose. They came to the temple to worship. So they were seekers. They were seeking for things. Yet... They had a void. They had a void in their hearts and minds. And all of a sudden, they felt, oh, this void is being filled with something. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. All of a sudden, this void was being filled with something. What was their response? 
conversion. Okay? All of a sudden, now they said, okay, we need to listen to this. Because this is not coming from these people. This is coming from God. There was a hunger in the nation among people for God. With all the religiosity that was there in Jerusalem, there was darkness. There was real darkness. So, with all the pomp and circumstances surrounding the feast, the void in their hearts were not being filled. Maybe their stomachs were filled, but their void in their hearts were not filled. And these people see that there is something different here. Now, as you look at this passage, you realize then that these people were Jews by birth. And by accepting the message, they become Christians by new birth, right? They were Jews by birth, but they become Christians by new birth. Each of them heard the message in their own language. You know, it's not that they came there expecting that. And there was a response from their heart. There was a response from their heart to turn to this message. So then what happens? What happens after that? What do these people do? You've got literally 3,000 babies, if you want to call Baby Christians. Okay, some of them went home to where they came from. Right. They realized that the Messiah had come, that they, uh, that, that God's dreams could work with us. Yeah, the Messiah had come, there was something that was promised, they knew that, uh, you know, uh, that, that something was different now, right? But they, they, decided, they went to the temple, and then they would meet together for the Lord's Supper. Where would they meet? In homes. Why in homes? The building project hadn't started. They hadn't raised the funds for that. You're right. Okay. <laughs> Somebody. So. The Roman Empire was looking uh, kind to Christianity at that moment. Or, or the Jewish. I mean, the empire as a whole, but specifically right there. So they were. Uh, Constantine had made it okay. Uh, right, right, right. I mean, Matt's absolutely right. Okay. Anytime there were a group of people gathered together, that was a threat to the Roman Empire, okay? So they made sure that large groups of people were either controlled or they didn't meet together. So what is the best place to meet? In a home, in a natural setting. What's good about meeting in a home? It's private. It's an intimate setting, right? I mean, nobody is coming to peek into your home when uh, you're having supper with somebody else. And together with that, you have the Lord's Supper. So that's how they met. Now, there were many uh, Jews in Jerusalem. And there were you know, people, as uh, John said, who went back to their other countries. They started it there. But almost all the time, you see this happening in a small setting, in, in a home. Joyce and I had a privilege of being in Rome, uh, I think about 11 years ago, and uh, we took a tour of uh, underground Rome. And 
the uh, the tourist uh, the tour guide took us to uh, quite a few places, and uh, uh, m- many of them were large churches, and uh, you uh, pay a little amount you know, as a donation, and then you take this dark uh, um, you know, stairs down, and you go down six floors, okay, and you see this place which has been excavated, which they say is where some of the early Christians met. You see these things underground. So these, I mean, you can go and see it today. And to stand in those places where people were worshipping together in a home 2,000 years ago, it's amazing to see that. There was also persecution. They sold things and joined together. Correct. They sold things to be, uh, 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 there was persecution too. You're right, Carl. Okay. There was persecution. I mean, uh, as soon as groups gather together that, uh, that are, uh, that differ in uh, thinking from, uh, uh, from them, there was even persecution from the Jewish authority. Okay. There was even persecution from the Jewish authority. So people may have jo- lost jobs. People may have uh, been thrown out of their homes. Okay. Now that's uh, uh, that's very common to see that happen. Uh, I've been in uh, uh, settings. Uh, I've known people who were thrown out of their homes because they became a Christian or cut off from their family totally. I've even known a guy who uh, uh, became a Christian in Minneapolis, and uh, his uh, two brothers came to kill him. So there is. Certainly persecution that happens even today. These are the kinds of things that happen. Now, a house setting is also a natural setting. And this morning I found out that, uh, you know, the, the, the assembly in, uh, in Kuwait was uh, first met in uh, Joyce's parents' home. Okay? And uh, it was a small gathering of... Uh, uh, of uh, family first, and now it's grown into a couple of different congregations all all around the city. Quite quite a large, uh, you know, large uh, uh, you know, group now. But it started small, and in every case, you see that starting small. Now, some of the local believers, of course, opened up their homes, as we just talked about. Okay, it was uh, probably. Was it uh, in? Uh, uh, I think last month that my cousin and his wife uh, Abe and Jane were uh, visiting here from uh, Chicago, and uh, Joyce and uh, Jane had come for the uh, women's tea over here, and I had a great time. Uh, uh, it was a fantastic experience, according to Jane. But while they were here, uh, Abe and I were sitting at home discussing uh, all the crazy things we did together as. Uh, 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 as cousins in, in Bombay, and then our uh, discussion turned to the fact that, hey, I'm going to be teaching uh, in the book of Acts. I mean, I'm going to look at this passage. And I said, uh, uh, you know, we started talking about it. And he said, you know what? I have some notes from, <laughs> uh, from uh, a talk I gave in, uh, uh, in Toronto. Uh, would you like to have the, the outline for that? I said, sure, I'll use that. 
Okay, so I t- I'm, I'm taking his outline. Okay, so it's not uh, not mine. I'm taking his outline. He had seven points. Of course, I you know uh, typically me, I will not take take everything that any, anybody gives me. I have to alter it. So I've got, got, that distilled it down to five. What we have here is a learning community, a loving community, a lifting community, a likable community, and a lasting community. You don't have to take notes on that because on the bulletin board in, in a, in a uh, uh, green uh, sheet of paper, I've printed that for you, okay? And I've left it there, okay? So you have a learning community, you have a loving community, a lifting community, a likable community, and a lasting community. Where do we see this in, in, in the initial church? From a learning community standpoint, okay? In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is talking to his disciples. In, in verse 20, he says, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he, he tells the apostles to teach the new disciples. Okay? So in, in Mark chapter 7 and verse uh, 6 to 8, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. So in contrast to just tradition, Jesus is offering something new. In Acts chapter chapter 6 and verse 4, we see the apostles spending time in prayer and teaching the word. So the early church did not bask in their experiences alone, but devoted time to learning, to loving God, and to finding out what the scriptures taught. Now, did they have a Bible like this at that time? No. What did they have? The apostles, okay? The apostles. The the apostles had gone to school for three years, and all of a sudden... God helped them recollect what Jesus had taught them. And so they could teach it to the people. That's how it happened. They could teach it to the people. We had already read this, this passage in uh, Acts chapter 2. It's uh, in verse uh, 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Okay? So this is very much a part of a new church where you devote yourself to learning. The next thing you want to look at is being a loving community. Was this a loving community? How do you know that? They were together? They shared each other's burdens, needs. Something we do all the time here too. Come on. We like doing it. Fellowship. Fellowship. Okay. Fellowship. They strengthened each other. Okay? They shared the meals together. And the Bible tells us with great joy and generosity. The, the writer here, Luke, emphasizes that. It's with great joy and generosity that they're being shared, you've been sharing. Now, did any of you have any Christmas meals at your home this week? Did you share it with joy and generosity? Yeah. Okay? That's the excitement that was there. It was Christmas every day for them. 
Okay? So they were sharing with joy and, and generosity. And then they shared their money and uh, for those, with those in need. So all of this was happening at that time. Verse 42, which I read, says, Apostles, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were a learning community, a loving community, and then they were a lifting community. And when I say a lifting community, it's lifting your hearts up to God. Okay? In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter is saying, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God had, has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. He's lifting up the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, all the while praising God, okay? So they were always lifting up their hearts and minds to God. Now, in uh, chapter 3 of Acts, you'll see that, uh, uh, you know, Peter is healing the lame man there. And after healing the lame man, he takes the opportunity to what? Address the crowd. And he points them to the Savior. In Acts chapter 3, verse 16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. That's what he says. I didn't do it. This man was healed because of faith in Jesus. So he's always lifting the name of Jesus up. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's what Peter is saying. And then Acts chapter 4 again, verse 23. Let me read this passage here quickly here. As soon as they were freed, and the, yeah, you remember they were arrested and uh, uh, they were freed after that. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them, what the leading priests and elders had said. Told them, hey, you better not speak about this anymore. Okay, that's what he was saying. They, had, they were being told. When they heard the reports, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestors, David, your servants saying, why are the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers gather together against the Lord, against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. See, they lifted their hands up to God. So, what do we need to do? We have to be a loving community, a lifting community, and then, of course, a likable community. See, the first three, learning, loving, and lifting, was inward. Okay? Those three things are looking at the growth of the church. The next two, being a likable community and being a lasting community, are outwardly focused. They were a likable community. If you go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the latter half of verse 47, it says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. You know, I've read this passage many times, but I miss that. They enjoyed the goodwill of people around. Society saw them overall. The rulers may not have, but overall their neighbors, the society saw them as good people. There was something good about them. Okay, they were likable. Then you see their, them also as a lasting community, okay? 
a lasting community. You saw their growth from 120 to 3,000. Now, in, you come to Acts chapter 4, and verse 4, it says, But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men. 5,000 men. The 3,000 was just counting everybody. Now it's just 5,000 men. It does not count women and children. So you can say it's up to possibly 10,000 at least. That's explosive growth. That's explosive growth. Now, how did this all happen? One can only say it was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And they devoted themselves to God. They devoted themselves to prayer. So they were a learning community, a loving community, a lifting community, a likable community, and a lasting community. I, I did not know where to put this story, so, uh, you know, whether it's in a likable community or a lasting community, but let me give this to you, okay? This, is, this story is by Clement of Alexandria, uh, who holds that James was being led to his execution. James was the second person who was executed, first of the apostles. One of the soldiers guarding him was so moved by the courage in the face of death that he himself made a sudden profession of his faith in Christ. The sudden change of heart came with a price. Both James and the soldier were executed that day. So in, in the midst of all, all this growth, there's persecution too. But in the face of persecution, there's steadfastness in their faith. And that's the amazing thing we see there. And seeing that steadfastness, what happens? Others see that there is something real about this Jesus. William Bennett in his uh, book, Tried by Fire, writes this. By the time the last apostle died, Christianity had established a foothold in the Roman world and beyond. Churches had sprouted up in both important and less important cities across the Mediterranean including Rome, Corinth, Jerusalem, Ephesus, and more. It all started with home churches. Let me end with just talking about a a story. It was a couple of years ago, I think probably maybe four years ago, or four or five years ago, when Joyce and I I were in India. We were visiting the, the church where I grew up in and where we both met, really. We were there on a Sunday morning. Now, uh, to give you a little background of the church, let me, let me set this up. Uh, this church has been in, uh, you know, assembly has been in existence for, uh, I would say, 75 plus years. Uh, but one of the, the uh, it's, it's situated in the south of Bombay, in the business district. Uh, if you want to say, probably a mile from, uh, or less than a mile from the Taj Mahal Hotel uh, if, if you know where that is, that right at the, at the tip of the business district. Now, one of the characteristics of the church is that on Sunday, uh, around 5.30, 5 to 5.30, uh, the, you know, many of the believers, men, would gather together, pray, and then go out into the, into the streets to invite people for the gospel meeting. Okay? And this is a daily occurrence, even today. Now, on that Sunday, they were... 
doing two things. One, they were uh, you know, uh, commemorating the fact that they had been doing this for uh, 70 or 75 years. I don't remember the exact thing. And then they had asked a brother. His name is Pastor Joseph. Okay? Pastor jo- it was also Pastor Joseph and his wife's 50th wedding anniversary. So the elders asked him if he could speak at the church. What I'm going to tell you is the story as I could remember it. Okay? That he said. One Sunday... He was walking the streets of South Bombay. Pastor Joseph, or his pastor, or Joseph at that time, was a day laborer. He slept on the streets of Bombay. He was, you know, he had a place to store his little goods. That's about it. But he slept on the streets. So when they invited him, he was just, ah, maybe I'll go ahead and listen. Came in. Lo and behold, as a result of God's work, he accepted Christ. And he started coming to the assembly. He's still living on the streets, just sleeping on the streets. That's, that was his home. He was a day laborer. One Sunday, he said, he remembered that he came to church and he had the equivalent, if you want to call it, of a nickel in his pocket. And that was the only thing he had. That's the only money he had. He decided to put it in the offering. And he says that, I had no idea what I was going to do. So after the meeting, as he was standing there, you know, ready to go wherever he goes, one of the ladies there has said, do you have plans for lunch? Now, the lady who asked that is Mrs. Goba. Now, these are all people I know very well, okay? Mrs. Goba had two daughters, She and the daughters were Christians. Her husband was was a top Indian lawyer, a Muslim. He had two wives. And after the partition of India, one of the wives lived in Pakistan and another one in India. Mrs. Goba and her two daughters had now become Christians. Mrs. Goba lived in one of the most expensive areas in Bombay and she had, I mean, her table was, I mean, I've been to their home many a times, uh, you know, uh, and Mar- uh, their, their daughters were uh, Iska and Mariah, and Mariah was my Sunday school teacher. So, uh, you know, it's, it's quite a setting, a very formal setting that uh, uh, they have there, okay? And she, said, she asked Joseph, would you like to come to our home for lunch? So, he goes to their home for lunch. During lunch, she asked him, where, where, are you st- where are you living? Where are you staying? So he told her, I live on the streets. She looked at her and said, why don't you just sleep here? We have room here. She opened up her home. She said, and this is Pastor Joseph, said, I, I couldn't imagine that happening. From the streets to where he was now sleeping was like, Heaven to him. Right? The reason he told that story is that people sometimes do things without even thinking. Right? Mrs. Gober wasn't thinking about it being a big sacrifice on her part. But it was a huge thing. Now, Joseph was very much a part of our, our assembly for a very long time. 
And, you know, all the years when I was growing up, I knew exactly where he sat in the assembly. But then he left the assembly to start his own ministry, a little more Pentecostal, uh, actually very close to my house. And I see him every so often, too. And he became a pastor of multiple congregations with a ministry that is now spread around the state. Okay? He ministers to film stars, prostitutes, people in uh, in sex trafficking, all of that. Just think about the grace of God there. The grace of God. The reason I bring that story and it came to my mind, is because as we look at us as a community of believers, we've got to ask ourselves, are we a learning community? Are we a loving community? Are we a lifting community? Are we a likable community? And are we a lasting community? My prayer is that as we stand at the threshold of 2020, 2020, with our vision set for us, that we would take those five principles and apply it in our hearts and minds. And the second thing I'd like to say is that as you stand in line for food, you can see that little uh, you know, green sign there. Every month as you look at it, just ask yourself the question, where do I fall? How much have I done? to enhance the work of the Holy Spirit and forward the kingdom of God here in Cincinnati. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we could spend together to look at your word. We pray, Father, for your blessing on us as we uh, uh, gather together to worship and remember what you have done for each one of us. It's only because of you we are here. We thank you for that. Thank you for the privilege of being able to worship together, to study your word, and to, uh, and to grow as Christians. We pray, Father, for your blessing on us this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen.